the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Harbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the program. It's Tuesday. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is The Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions, questions about stuff going on in your life, whatever is on your heart. All you have to do is dial 210-340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app and as always if you are driving in your car the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app just hit the call now banner at the top of the screen everything else is hands free you'll be connected directly to our studio producer normally I don't have anything to say at all on a, on a Tuesday before we get into questions but uh, we ended our Sweet Summer Devotion series last night uh, here at Calvary Chapel for the ladies, Tennille Smith uh, was our uh, the the young woman who shared. And uh, boy, you got to listen. You just got to listen. You go to calvarysa.com and get it that way. Uh, it is also on our YouTube channel. Uh, so there's a lot of ways that you can listen. But uh, it was just great. Paula came home just giddy. She says, oh, what a perfect way to end a great summer of Sweet Summer Devotions. And we're going to have the ladies on the program. We don't know how quickly we can work it because there's so many of them. But we're going to have the ladies on the program so they can kind of share the experience a little bit with uh, you and the radio audience. So uh, that will be coming up and we'll keep you posted. Uh, but that is a, a, a wonderful, wonderful uh, message she gave last night. Uh, really honoring and glorifying to the Lord. And uh, like all of the ladies this summer, uh, so honest and candid. Uh, that kind of honesty is so refreshing, that kind of openness. So uh, you can go to our website or you can go to YouTube, our YouTube channel. And uh, if you uh, are interested, you can uh, listen. You will be blessed abundantly, I promise. Okay, let's get to some questions while we wait your phone calls. Um, The first one comes from Kirby from our email inbox. And Kirby says, Pastor Ron, I know it's a conflict, but could you help me understand Philippians 2.4 verses 2.21 in regards to Paul's use of the phrases own interests? His point seems to conflict. Well, let me read the passages and then Kirby, I'll do the best I can. In Philippians chapter 2 verse 4, he says, each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. And Philippians 2.21 says, for all the others looked after their own 
interests, not those of Jesus Christ. Uh, I don't see any conflict at all, Kirby, here. Uh, I like Philippians 2.4 especially. You know, God is a realist, and he knows we're looking out for our own interests. You know, sometimes we try to sound spiritual and say, no, I don't want anything for me. But the reality is we all pray for ourselves, and, and we're all considering how the decisions or the choices we make are going to impact us and our walk with the Lord and our lives in general. Uh, and, and Paul is simply reminding the, the, the church in Philippi that it's okay to look out for your own interests, but don't neglect the interests of others. Now, one thing, Kirby, and this is, uh, I think, off the point of your question, but one of the things I tell our church here all the time is that they ought to measure their prayer. How much of their prayer is about them and how much of their time in prayer is about or for others. And I think a healthy balance ought to be that we ought to pray for others more than we pray for ourselves. Uh, God knows exactly what we need. God knows um, um, uh, what's going to happen in our lives. And God is the one, if we're walking in the Spirit, God is the one who's directing our steps. However, we've got tons of people in, in all of our lives who are lost and hurting and hungry, the broken, the needy, the confused, the fearful, the angry. And we got a lot of people to pray for. I'll just give you an example. In the last few days, just in the last few days, uh, Paula and I have been bombarded by people with medical emergencies, family emergencies, um, um, uh, health emergencies that, that, that aren't necessarily medical emergencies. But, but just the idea that... Um, there's so much going on and so much pain. And and I think the Holy Spirit, using the Apostle Paul here, is pointing out that we need to be aware of the pain in people's lives. And if we'll look out for their interests, the Spirit of God will lead us and direct us to those divine appointments where we can use the gift of encouragement or the gift of exhortation uh, or the, the words of wisdom or words of knowledge, just some way that we can be a blessing to other people. And I think the man or the woman, the Christian who prays uh, primarily for themselves. Lord, bless me with this, or give me that, or Lord, I need that. I think we lose sight of the fact that Christ in us, the hope of glory, is is desiring to use us to reach through us to other people, and we need to pray to, to pray for them. Uh, Moses is an example. Um, nobody could have blamed Moses with all of the difficulty that the the Israelites in the wilderness gave him and yet uh, God used him and trained him to be an intercessor so that's the idea here um, um, it's okay to look out for your own interests it's okay to make decisions based on what's best for you as long as that's in the will of God but it's better to look for others um, Kirby, you'll remember uh, many years ago, uh, a dear friend of mine, Gail Irwin, who's been here at the church many times, he brought uh, hundreds, if not thousands of bumper stickers with just one word on them, others. And whenever you see a, a car around here with the others bumper sticker, you know what it is. And his whole point in giving us those bumper stickers was that Jesus was the only truly others-centered others person who's ever lived. And if we are uh, uh, his, then we then ought to be others-centered as well. So um, that's what 2.4. In Philippians 2.21, he's simply saying, uh, making a contrast or a comparison. Other people, uh, carnal Christians or unbelievers, look after their own interests, but we are supposed to be looking out for the interests of Jesus Christ. Now, right between those two verses, we all know is uh, Philippians 2.12, and we're told to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. And I think uh, verse 4 gives us sort of the, the, the direction that we're to go. And verse 21 is sort of the end result. That's where we end up if we're taking the Apostle Paul's counsel. Very, very good. Now, obviously, in Philippians chapter 2, uh, verse 5, we've got the kenosis of God, too. Uh, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, um, 
who considered the quality of God not something to be grasped. And it talks about Jesus' humility here. So uh, there's the, the, the theory, but then the outworking of it as well. Good question, Kirby. Thank you very, very much. Here is another question. This one comes from uh, our email inbox, and it is anonymous. Uh, will we be aware that the rapture is taking place, and what will non-believers see at the time of the rapture? Um, anonymous, it's going to happen so quickly, in a, in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye. Now, there's actually people that have done measurements, and a quick Google search would tell you how fast the twinkling of an eye really is. But but it will happen so quickly that uh, we won't uh, be aware of anything other than instantly being transported into the presence of the Lord. Uh, it says that the last trumpet, uh, it, it, it's not a literal trumpet, so we will be called, and and how we're called, how we'll know, but it will happen so quickly that, that we really and truly won't be aware of it uh, at all. It will just, it, it's, it's um, I don't know, like a roller coaster ride that, that happens so quickly that... Uh, you know, instantly you're caught up in the moment. And and uh, so that's what we're going to be. Now, what unbelievers are going to see at the time of the rapture is uh, is hard for us to say. We don't know. Um, you know, we see the, the, the rapture movies or we see um, the, the speculation on what's going to have the rapture. And you see everything from the clothes being left behind. We're just sitting in a chair one time, and the next moment there's there's only our clothes there. Uh, we're in an airplane, and suddenly we're gone, and our clothes are left behind. Uh, I'm not sure, Anonymous, that that's what it's going to look like. I just think, for example, in an airplane or in a restaurant or in a car, uh, the 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 person will just be missing. And I think that the unbelievers who are left behind at the time of the rapture, uh, what they're going to be able to see and measure are the consequences or the, the, the outpouring of the rapture of the church. And I think because that is the beginning of the great tribulation, it's going to be horrible. Uh, it's going to be horrible. You know, we've been looking uh, all week at the pictures uh, and counting the loss of life from the devastating uh, fires in Maui. And uh, we all we can see is what's left behind. Um, uh, I, I think that's what unbelievers are going to see, and a lot of those unbelievers, anonymous, are going to going to be accountable because they're going to say, "Oh, well, they told me, or my loved one told me, or my I heard my pastor say it, but I just didn't believe him. How could I've been so wrong?" And, and I think others are going to be in shock. Uh, it was true. I can't believe it's true. So the idea here is um, that the aftermath of the rapture is going to be absolutely tragic. Somebody uh, asked on the program uh, a couple of years ago, um, um, how could God uh, punish all those innocent people? For instance, if there's a bus driver or a uh, 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 air, airline pilot and they're Christians and they get raptured well that's going to mean the plane's going to crash or the bus is going to crash and he said that's just not fair to all those innocent people uh, and here's what we have to remember there are no innocent people when we're taken out of here everybody will have had their last chance it's sort of like when Joshua began his Canaan campaign. Uh, all of those people, they'd filled up their sin quotient, judgment had been decreed and they were all going to die um, the same thing is true when the rapture happens. It is the judgment of God, the wrath of God being poured out. And anonymous, it's going to be worse, more horrible than we could ever imagine. So good question. Thank you very, very much. Here is our next question. This one comes from Frank uh, from our mobile app. And he says, what are your thoughts on cessationism? Now, for the audience, cessationism, if you don't know, is a theology that says the gifts of the Spirit have ceased after the canon of Scripture was provided. You know, 1 Corinthians 13 says, when that which is perfect comes. And and what they say is perfect is the Word of God. Well, there's no way to exegete that and come to that conclusion. Uh, when that which is perfect comes is a reference to Jesus. And so those who say the gifts of the Spirit have ceased, um, Frank, they're, they're, they're 
they really have no doctrinal foundation. There's no biblical uh, evidence whatsoever that the gifts have ceased. Now, there are certainly some gifts or sign gifts that have ceased. Uh, for example, uh, there will never be uh, another um, Acts chapter 2, you know, where the, the Holy Spirit enters the world uh, with the sound of a mighty rushing wind and cloven tongues of fire, and then everybody speaking in in a, a, a language that's unknown to them but known to their listeners. That's not ever going to happen again. Um, that was a one-time-only sort of grand entrance kicking off the dispensation of the church. Uh, so those sign gifts are going to or, or have stopped but remember, sign points to something, and that's what Jesus was trying to do. Um, but but there's no biblical evidence whatsoever that those gifts have ceased. So the sign gifts, the entrance of the Holy Spirit, uh, the first time that won't be repeated. Yet the gift of tongues, not not all in the same place, not all at the same time, and not with the accompanying supernatural signs. Uh, None of those things are going to occur again. And yet God has given the gift of tongues uh, to those of us who will receive it. Uh, and, um, And it's a great gift. It's a wonderful, wonderful gift. But the other gifts of the Spirit are still going on. Now, Frank, one of the things that I want to do, I want to be charitable to cessationists because I, I firmly believe that most of the people who come to this conclusion do so because they're mortified by the abuses of the gifts of the Spirit in the contemporary church. I think they are mortified. They walk in, they see everybody speaking in tongues at the same time. In some cases, you'll see these phony revivals where people are barking and laughing and and shaking and moving their heads back and forth and falling on the ground and uh, being touched on the forehead and falling over. And rightly, they're offended by those things, and it's easier for them just deposit that the the gifts of the spirit uh, that's not real the real gifts of the spirit must have stopped uh, I don't think we can throw that baby out with the bathwater because that is a beautiful, beautiful baby. Um, when God gives a gift, whatever it is, it's a gift that we all want and it's a gift that we need and we have to be open to that. So cessationism certainly is not biblical. There's no foundation whatsoever and it requires us to believe that when that which is perfect comes... Um, re- refers to the canon of Scripture, which, of course, the writers of the New Testament would have had no idea about, because when it was written, they knew nothing about the canon of Scripture that was coming. The the way that the Lord spoke to the early church, uh, in the absence of having a codified Word of God, was through the prophets, the New Testament prophets, and they were the ones who would settle um, disputes or give directions or or give exhortations. But uh, there's no biblical warrant whatsoever for cessationism. And uh, I think one of the things that we need to be aware of is uh, just how um, much damage is done with the uh, counterfeit use of the gifts of the Spirit. Thank you for the question. 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. I don't know if any connection between our phones being quiet all week uh, and, and at the end of last week and the heat or not, but it certainly doesn't take much to pick up the phone and call. Here's another anonymous question. How can we know for sure that the New Testament is reliable? Um, first and foremost, you got to dig in and find out for yourself. You've got to have experience with it. You know, you can't approach it and say, well, you know, I'm going to find out if it's reliable before I start reading it. Read it. Study it. Let the Spirit of God affirm it and confirm it to you uh, in your quiet time with the Lord. But you've got to be in the Word. You've got to be personally convinced. Uh, and then you can oh then you can do your homework then you can do your research there are some wonderful wonderful works out there I'll, I'll everybody if you got a pencil here's my favorite there is a a book by F F that's like Frank Frank F F Bruce uh, and it's called the New Testament documents are they reliable 
And this is my favorite Bible commentator of all time. And it is a wonderful book, very scholarly, but not too difficult to read. Uh, and he will give you the background. Um, um, but then you've got to dig in. As you, as you dig in, um, the Holy Spirit will confirm that it's real. Um, you can go to another book. Um, um, I'll give you two of them, one hard and one easy. The easy one is The Case for the Bible by Lee Strobel. Uh, it's um, it's it's easy to read. It's got great information, and he will make a case that the Bible is uh, the Word of God. The manuscripts are inerrant and infallible, and uh, he will give you some direction to go and and provide some bibliography as well. But there's even a more uh, uh, it's more difficult, more scholarly, uh, but but much more um, uh, complete, and that's uh, the Josh McDowell's book, The New Evidence That demands a verdict, uh, and it is a standard for uh, for this kind of thing. So um, you got to dig in and find out. Uh, I've told this story too many times in this program, so I'll give you the short version of it here. Uh, but as a young Christian, um, in my first year of being saved, I had so many questions, and I was so curious uh, that, that I just bugged everybody. I wanted to ask questions, and when I asked Christians questions, there were two ways they responded. They would say, well, I don't really know, which is inexcusable. As soon as we get saved, we had to start finding out what we believe and why we believe it. But the other response was, well, the Bible says... Now, I'd never even opened a Bible before I got saved. So I'm trying to struggle through this Bible, and I didn't understand. Uh, people say, well, it was the Word of God. And I thought, well, but, it, but it's clearly written by men. I didn't understand how it could be written by men and written by God at the same time. So I dug in, and I made it the goal of my life. I, I told the Lord one day, uh, Jesus, I have so many questions, and every time I ask somebody for the answer, they say the Bible says, and I don't know if I can rely on the Bible. I don't know if it's true. And he challenged me right then and right there to find out. And for me, and, and this is just my own experience, and everybody's mileage may vary, uh, but for me, it took about two and a half months. Um, I spent eight-plus hours a day in a, a school of theology library uh, on both sides of the issue, those who believed that the Bible uh, was not inerrant and those, of course, that did. Uh, and uh, I, I just wanted to find out. And I spent two and a half months, and um, one day I was sitting in this big, beautiful room, stacks of books uh, on the table that I was studying at, and um, it was almost as though, and I don't want it to be mis understood here. But it was almost as though Jesus was sitting there in the room with me. And it was like he was twiddling his thumb saying, okay, are you convinced yet? Because I just knew. I just knew. And the reason that's so important, Anonymous, is because from that day forward, from that day forward, I've never questioned my salvation. Not for even a moment did I question my salvation. Nor did I question the veracity of the Bible ever again. And it has served me well. And I could dig in with the full confidence that what I was reading was, was I, I like to say, orders from headquarters. And uh, it changed my whole life. And, 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 and I, I don't mean this in an arrogant way, but it, it, it made things simple for me. God said it. I know it's true. I got to do it. And it made things really simple for me. So uh, I hope that helps. But it's one of the most important questions uh, any Christian can find the answers to. That's how important it is. Mitchell says, uh, is a church being abusive to demand that women wear dresses or skirts when serving and requiring everyone to tithe? Um, it, it's not abuse. It's wrong. Uh, but it's not abuse, Mitchell. Um, um, it's not abuse because you can leave. Um, there are lots of churches uh, where um, they they understand the Bible better than obviously the church that you're talking about does. Uh, and we don't require anything of anybody. You know, um, who are we to require anything of anybody? Um, 
um, our responsibility is to give people the information, and then they have to wrestle with God, the Holy Spirit, uh, to in order to deal with that uh, information, process that information. Uh, if this church that you're describing certainly is, I'm sure, very legalistic, um, um, requiring people to tithe contradicts uh, Paul saying that God loves a cheerful giver. He doesn't want anybody to give under compulsion. And even the, the word tithe uh, is not a New Testament word at all. Uh, and and so um, they're wrong. I, I think they're out of balance. And I think there's an element of, of them even being dangerous. But But it's not abusive because you can leave. So, Mitchell, that's what you should do or advise the people you're asking about to do. Um, ask the Lord to lead them and direct them to a church where the truth is going to be told, where grace is evident not only in the teaching but also in the practice of, of the church in a practical sense. So um, that is way beyond what any church ought to do or require of everyone. Mitchell, thank you for the question. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. I think we're coming up on the end of the first half of our program, and we would love your calls and questions. It's 340-9585 or toll-free. You can call 877-630-KSLR. You have been listening to The Word to Stand Up for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And if you hang on, we'll be back in two minutes. Back to the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the second half of our Tuesday show, 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com. Here is an anonymous question. This question kills me because I can't figure out why anybody would ask this question. Uh, Pastor Ron, is it okay for me to deny sins from my past since God has forgotten them? Um, The only thing I can figure that you're trying to say here is that you don't want people to know your past. So you're thinking, well, since God wiped them away, can I just deny that I ever did them? That would be lying. And there's no lying. Remember the movie? There's no crying in baseball. There's no lying in Christianity. We just can't lie. So no. And here's the thing, Anonymous. Use your sins. This is one of the great, great blessings of the Sweet Summer Devotion series that ended last night that we've been talking about. Um, uh, Those old sins, our past lives, become trophies for Jesus. We can say, this is who I used to be. What does Paul say to the churches in Thessalonica? He says, um, you, you know, they worshipped idols, they were drunkards, they were this and they were that, and such were some of you. But but you see, when we're covered by the blood, we're no longer that. But we can point to those times when we were lost, uh, when when sin was destroying our lives, and we could say, yeah, I did all those things. And I regret them, and I'm ashamed of them, but the blood of Jesus has wiped them away. So I don't do any guilt over them, but I regret them. But to say that, no, I didn't do any of those things, or or, or to try to pretend that you didn't have that kind of past, I think is, um, that that's just a lie. And and uh, I, the only thing I can think is motivated by pride or ego. Both of those things are in contradistinction to walking in the power of the Spirit. You know, it's interesting, Anonymous, we had at our pastor's discipleship class um, this past Saturday. Um, we had a discussion uh, about sin and dealing with sin. And um, um, one of the things that we were talking about is is, is being accountable taking responsibility for the things that you've done. And, um, you know, we have to make things right with people. 
that you can't make things right with God if you haven't made things right with people at the same time. Um, we've sinned against God. We say, I'm sorry. He forgives us. But if we then don't go to the people who are hurt by our sins, then we're not being honest. And we were talking in that discussion because there's always people who think, well, I don't have much of a testimony like all these spectacular, sinful testimonies. I don't have a testimony like that. And and, and we've kind of done a reverse thing here, and people are, are a little embarrassed because they don't have that kind of a testimony. And uh, my response was, hey, that's the best kind of testimony we have. In fact, we're trying here at Calvary Chapel to raise an entire generation of kids without a testimony. That's the best way. You know what I'd like better than anything else? For kids when they leave our academy or kids when they leave our church and go out in the world, I, I'd love for them to be able to say, well, you know, I pretty much loved Jesus my whole life. Haven't done any really terrible things because I loved Jesus. And and that's what we're doing. But that's not the case for most people. And for most people, we make horrible choices. And then we can turn those choices into a testimony that honors God. If you will read the book of Acts Anonymous, you'll see that on three separate occasions, the Apostle Paul gives his testimony. And each testimony has a little bit different detail in them um, that, that, that are suited to the, 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 the moment Paul is sharing. And um, um, God honors that testimony, uh, just like there's there's power in your personal testimony, and he will honor it. And you don't want to glorify the sin. You don't want to make it all about you and how wicked you were. But even the Apostle Paul says, I was the worst of the worst. I was the chief of sinners. And um, and then he uses the, that's who I was, but look what I'm doing now. And God getting all the glory anonymous. So don't deny anything that's true. Uh, if you're asked about it or you have the opportunity to share your testimony, deal with it. Uh, one of uh, Tennille's, uh, uh, in her message uh, last night, one of the, the great features is that um, she she just lays it out there. This is um, what I did. I knew it was wrong, but I did it anyway. And I got stuck in the consequences. I was going down a very dark path, she says at one point. Um, and uh, what we need to do is is recognize that Jesus was always there. And there was a light at the end of that dark path. And Tennille, by the power of the Holy Spirit, found that path. And she's just serving the Lord so faithfully now and, and wonderfully. So don't lie. Don't ever, ever lie. Here is a question from Oscar. What does Paul mean when he says to desire the best gifts in 1 Corinthians chapter 13? Well, in chapter 12, and we've got to go back there, there's a, a, a list of um, the gifts of the Spirit that are given and, and an explanation about how to use them personally. And when you go into chapter 14, there's another list of those same gifts that... that we're taught how to use them corporately in the body of Christ. But in chapter 13, right between 12 and 14, that's not profound. Everybody knows that. But he says, um, the greatest gifts of all are faith, hope, and love. And those are the greater gifts. Love, of course, being the greatest gift of all. So that's what we are to pursue. Those are the gifts that we're to desire. For example, if I had the gift of prophecy, or if I had the gift of, of encouragement, or if I had the gift of giving, uh, all those are great gifts. But if they're not wrapped in or motivated by love, love for Jesus and love for the people of God, um, then there's no value in those gifts. Uh, he, he begins chapter 13 by saying, though, uh, I can prophesy, I can speak in tongues, I can fathom all ministries, uh, I can do miraculous things. Uh, without love, all of that is just noise. So, Oscar, what he's telling us is to pursue faith, hope, and especially love. And those are the, the greater gifts, the best gifts, uh, those are the ones that have priority. So, you know, we have a lot of people, well, I have the gift of tongues, but they're using it in an abusive way or or um, 
Uh, I have the gift of giving and yet they're trying to control people with with their giving. Uh, There's no value, and I would add there are no rewards for using the gifts that God gives you in those kind of ways. So, Oscar, that's what it is. Faith, hope, and love. Pursue those gifts. Those are the best gifts of all. Here's a question from Regina. She says, why do Christians think it is okay to insist that abortion is wrong when they do nothing to help the woman they're forcing to have a baby? Um, Regina, your question is dishonest. Um, you know, you're, you're parroting um, arguments uh, from those who uh, have no qualms about killing babies. Um, it is okay to insist abortion is wrong because abortion is murder, period. We don't need anything else. But when I say your question is dishonest, I know it's not an honest question because Christians do a lot, a lot to help women. And we're not forcing anybody. We're simply giving them the other side of the story. Uh, But we do a lot for women who are in trouble. We do a lot more than this government does for sure. We do a lot. You know, if a woman came to me, Somebody in the church and said, uh, Pastor Ron, I, I know you're going to say I sinned, but I'm pregnant. I'm going to have a baby, and I just can't care for this baby. Uh, Regina, it would take me 10 minutes, 10 minutes to find a home for that child and a home where, where I know that baby would be nourished and cherished and raised to love Jesus. It would take me 10 minutes, and by that I mean just time to make a phone call. Um, um, I've got people that will come alongside um, we've got the best babysitters and child care people in the world. I mean, it's just their heart. I got a bunch of women in this church. I teasingly call them baby thieves because every time a new baby comes in the church, you know, they're over there to grab it out of the mother's arms and give her a break and hold the baby and pray for the baby and do all those things. Um, Christians do a lot, a lot. It's also important that we communicate to women who are pregnant and if uh, if there is a man in the in the picture and by that I mean a man in, in the picture ter- in terms of the relationship um, we need to let him know that there are consequences to sin you can't sin with impunity and so when when somebody comes to me and says uh, but my life is going to be so hard um, I'm going to tell him in love that they should have thought about that before they sinned. But when you sin, these are the consequences. And, uh, Regina, it's just not honest to tell people that Christians do this. and Christ- You're just mimicking questions that other people are asking. Thank you very, very much. We've got Ron on line two from Converse. Ron, thank you for calling. You're on the air. Hello, Pastor Ron. Hi, Ron. Good to hear from you. I'm the one that uh, accidentally used to call you Pastor Paul from time to time. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you reminded me of, of, of Paul. This you're our, we have a Paul these days. I think you're you 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 do the work of Paul. And, oh, bless uh, your heart. <laughs> yeah, and it's been about a year and a month, give or take. And uh, you, we had our true baptism at a uh, house out there in the country, and I got to meet Mama Paula, an amazing lady, and I think I met. Pastor Ken, uh, uh-huh. you performed the baptism, and Brandy is still beaming. We have the pictures, and uh, I just want to thank you for that because we've never been so refreshed spiritually. Oh, I remember Brandy like it was yesterday, so thank you. Oh, thank you, too. You're welcome. Well, Pastor, I have a, a question that I brought up before, and I know like Pastor Ken is one of those. He's been on the air when you're not there. He's just driven and led just like you by the Holy Spirit, and it just comes spontaneous. The answer is that not from the heart. It comes from his, from not just even his spirit, but the Holy Spirit, which leads your spirit and his. But you have mentioned before about Catholics, and um, I'm, you know me, I'm previous Catholic, hardcore mm-hmm. Catholic. And uh, the very church that we went to um, here in Converse, it, it, they had some very unfortunate news this week. Yeah. And they even had a bishop show up and tell him what happened. It, it involved the priest, and it was just so unfortunate. And um, it just reminded me of why it wasn't the reason why I made the change, but uh, it's one of those symptoms of the 
Catholic Church, which is led by the flesh, it seems like on so many occasions. But you have mentioned that you can be a, a born-again Catholic, and I'm always using analogies. I know that you can and be saved. I know that you can be a, a meat eater and a carnivore, if you can express, excuse that term, mm-hmm. you know, a, a beef eater, and, and still be a, a vegan. But a vegan can't be a, a, a meat eater or a beef eater. Now, you've mentioned that a Christian, uh, Catholic can be born again and and be saved. And while this is not the, um, the well, you made it clear that the, the majority of them probably are not going to be saved because of all the trappings that they, they're involved with, which is starting with the crucifix. I heard one even say that the crucifix is a, the mockery of Jesus Christ by keeping him hanging there. And uh, all of the all of the trappings that uh, the man-made doctrines, you know them all. Yeah. And how can you be? I, I just wonder how could you be uh, still a practicing Catholic? If the, maybe that's not what you meant. Because if you said you can be a Catholic born ag- and be born again, because yes, our scriptures tell us we have to be born again, just as Christ told Nicodemus, we have to be born again. And that even rivaled his mind and. Christ had to set him straight and say, this is how you're born again, and it, it, it involves your spirit. So how can you, what I'm getting at is, how can you be a practicing Catholic and still be involved in all the trappings, starting with the crucifix and and uh, all of the, the idolatry and the, the man-made doctrines and changing of the Ten Commandments and, <laughs> and, and still be saved, and yet you can say to yourself, yes, I accept Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone as my Savior, but you go back and you dabble with the crucifix, all of the trappings, uh, the statues, the the um, all of the man-made doctrines uh, that um, that permeate the Catholic Church. God bless them all, and I do believe God loves all good Catholics, but He, he wants you to come to Him as you are, but not remain as you are. You've made that even clear. So yeah. that's my question that that it it just it's always tapping at my shoulder yeah let me let me deal with it ron thank you very much let me deal with as best i can uh and i I know we've got somebody holding on the other line so please be patient just for a couple of minutes and i will get to you ron a couple things the lord always has a remnant everywhere Uh, the catholic church has the real jesus the real father the real holy spirit uh, and he always has a remnant we must never forget that um, Elijah thought he was the only one. I'm the only one. And God says, oh, Elijah, I got 7,000 just like you uh, warming up in the bullpen. So um, there's always a remnant uh, within a professing church. Now, uh, being a Catholic uh, is no different. And by the way, it's it's always ex-Catholics who are the hardest on the Catholic Church. They're the ones who've been ripped off. They're the ones who understand what they were missing out on. Um, but but it'd be like being a Seventh-day Adventist. There are Seventh-day Adventists uh, who are Christians, real born-again Christians. Now, it may be a small number, uh, but they really are Christians. There are uh, people in the Church of Christ, uh, even though they insist wrongly that baptism is essential for salvation, um, but there are real Christians in the Church of Christ. And the same thing is true in the Methodist Church, which is apostate now, and, and the Episcopal Church, which is even more apostate now. Um, um, we're humans. We're, we're creatures of habit, almost we're herd animals. And, and we've got to uh, be raised in a certain way. Uh, here's what I can tell you. There will be a lot of heaven, a lot of people in heaven who had bad doctrine. Um, they really didn't know what they believed or why they believed it, nor did they understand what they believed. But they loved Jesus. And they gave they gave their heart to Jesus. Now, when I see a practicing Catholic who says he's born again, and I'm going to tell you up front, I have met several of them in my life. Now, several is not many because I meet uh, hundreds, if not thousands of Catholics over the years. And by the way, I will be criticized for my answer by by dozens of Catholics. Uh, I always get the, you're a Catholic basher, and I can't believe you're doing that whenever I answer a question like this. Um, well, those people aren't saved, and, and, and they're responding uh, because they're not born again. Um, so you can be uh, a real Christian. You can be born again. Um, and it doesn't matter whether it's 
Catholic Church, the SDA Church, uh, Method Church, the Episcopal Church, or any of the others, uh, whose doctrine is really, really messed up, and people just don't leave um, the, the confines that they're used to. So um, um, it's hard to be a Christian. It really is. And what I can say is that there is very little fruit coming from or through the lives of those who are practicing Catholics. You know, the Lord says that we're not to judge another person's servant. God is able to make them stand, and he knows their heart uh, better than we do. Galatians 6, 7 says that God won't be mocked. He knows those who are his. He can't be deceived. And so uh, we might look at somebody and say, how could you do that? And I've asked that question to a lot of people. How can you stay in the Catholic Church? I had a question on this program a couple of weeks ago about somebody who's still, I'm born again, but I pray the rosary because it, 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 it just makes me feel close to God. And I told him it has no value at all. In fact, it is inhibiting your prayer walk, but God knows your heart. And that's the thing. And, and we'll, we're content, Ron, to let the Holy Spirit lead them out. So be generous. Uh, it is hard to be a Christian and a practicing Catholic. And part of it is because the Catholic Church teaches that all you have to do is be a part of the church. That's all. Thank you very, very much, Ron. Appreciate the call. It's really good to hear from you. Let's go to line three. And Alexa, I want to thank you for being patient. You're on the air. Hey, Pastor Ron. Hope you're doing well. Um, good. I have a question kind of similar to uh, the last caller. I'll give you a little background. So I'm a born-again believer. Um, I attend a Baptist church. Um, However, I grew up in a Missouri Senate Lutheran church, and Mm -hmm. I actually went to a Catholic school growing up. So I've seen different traditions kind of, you know, under the the Christian umbrella, so to speak. And as a Lutheran, it was easy for me to kind of wrap my head around Catholicism because you you could basically say, well, they were the true church until they went off the rails and um, men started running it uh, to look out for themselves instead of uh, looking out, you know, for God and his people, and they put all these traditions and rules in. So that kind of makes sense. Um, But what I kind of struggle with and what my question is, um, I'm, I'm, I attend a Baptist church now, and uh, when I hear someone talking about like a first or second century sort of saint or biblical scholar, it brings a question into my mind. For example, like Jerome, uh, who you know was responsible, I understand, for putting together a lot of the books, um, kind of of the Bible, putting them all together. Um, was was Jerome a Catholic? If so. I mean, Catholics will tell you that they wrote the Bible. Um, was the Catholic Church ever a true church? Is it something different now? Can we sort of draw a line in the sand and say, like, okay, after the Council of whatever in, you know, 346 A.D., that's when it became sort of more apostate? Um, if you could talk to that, I would appreciate it. Okay, and let me apologize. I called you Alexa because that's what my screen says, and clearly you oh. must be Alex. So. Yes, that's correct. Okay. Yeah. Sorry thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Thank, thank you, Alex. And I'm, again, I am very sorry for, for saying, Alexa, you were so patient with us. Um, how to explain this? Um, the, the Catholic Church, and, and this is the, the Catholic Church that we know, uh, distorts history. Um, all in the name of tradition. Uh, the Catholic Church, and, and the word Catholic simply means universal. And so the Catholic Church uh, was in Rome, but it wasn't even established until 313 A.D. when um, the king made Catholicism the official church or Christianity the official church of the world. He was the world empire. And so, okay, this is now the official church. Now, he had all kinds of motives. Certainly, he was not a Christian. Um, uh, that's Constantine. Uh, but but uh, uh, it became the universal church. Um, it was after that that the um, creeds codified uh, what was Scripture and what was not. And when you're talking to Catholics about this, you know, well, well, the, they took out books of the Bible. None of that is true. Um, we'll, we'll just very clearly um, the the, the uh, what we call the apocryphal books uh, were never part of the Jewish scriptures. So um, uh, Alex, the the the, uh, the 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 
Catholic Church, as we understand it, the Catholic Church in Rome, um, didn't even begin until 313 A.D. And when you see Catholics claim Peter is the first pope, um, uh, and, and they'll say from the beginning there was that succession handed down, that's simply not the case. So uh, what 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 the Catholic Church has done to the Word of God is blasphemous, uh, heretical. Um, when when Martin Luther posted his ninety five thesis and changed things, the Catholic Church wanted to kill him as heretical, and um, um, you know that that's just the way they dealt with those kind of differences. But but even the Catholic Church trying to keep the the the, the masses in Latin to keep it away from the common people. Um, that's certainly not consistent with the heart of God or the will of God. And um, again, that's what the traditions of men do when we get involved. And as you implied, Alex, there are um, ulterior motives. Uh, people were getting enriched. Uh, and and uh, going back to the call before, uh, I saw the news article about the uh, the Catholic priest uh, who has been dismissed and I hope is getting ready to go to jail for um, um, sexual contact with a minor. Um, these these people, the, these these leaders, these priests are not saved, and um, you know unsaved people do things that suit their own needs, and certainly that was the history of the Catholic Church. And you can look at church history, and I got a lot of people that are very enthused about church history. Church history tells you one thing: the church has been wrong for most of church history. So, I hope that helps. And if I had more time, I'd go into it a little bit. Hey, thanks for tuning in. Appreciate the phone calls and questions. Hey, you've been listening to The Word of Standing for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. I'll be back tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630 The Word. We'll see you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.